in our last week of the Colossians series where we're looking at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in every sentence we read in this short letter, we're seeking to answer the question, what does the resurrected life look like that we actually share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? What does it mean to walk this out? And we believe that this letter, we know this letter addresses this question. My original plan was to take all of chapter 4, which is the last chapter of Colossians, and talk through it tonight as I've been doing through uh, the previous weeks, talking through most, if not all, the verses. Tonight, I could not get past one verse. So tonight's talk is really about just one verse that's about prayer. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, the Bible often emphasizes prayer all over the place, and oftentimes it's mentioned as a labor, that it's enjoyable, but it's something that we have to devote ourselves to. And you don't devote yourself to something that you always want to do. Do you talk to anyone who has devoted themselves to anything musically or academically or athletically? And there are many, many, many times where they don't want to. Uh, and most of us have good intentions to pray. And we might pray for a couple days when we get a drive-by guilting from a pastor who peppers us with a bunch of verses on prayer and admonitions to pray. And then a couple days later or a week later, we go back to relative prayerlessness. I know I can relate to that. Many times where I've slidden down that um, uh, temptation. Or some of us might think prayer is a personality thing. You say, well, Chris, I'm not really all that emotional. I'm really more intellectual, so I connect to God through intense Bible study, through apologetics and Christian literature. It's not a personality thing. Prayer is for all of us, and it matters deeply to God. Or maybe you don't struggle with either of those. Maybe your struggle is it just doesn't seem like you. Okay, you're, you don't want to do it if it feels like you're being fake, so you just choose not to talk to God at all. But the word and prayer are the primary ways we need to interact with God, so there is no need to be true to ourselves or what we think is authentic. Because if we are true to ourselves, we'll never grow in our faith because we won't be devoted to the Bible in prayer. If we're true to ourselves, we've got a sin nature will be devoted to me, myself, and I. In an attempt to be authentic, we will only be authentically godless. It's simply not in our nature to want to pray, but the Spirit stirs it in us when we taste and see that the Lord is good and we commit ourselves to prayer. So let's take a look at a handful of other verses that use this language of devotion, intensity, frequency of prayer. This is, this is a radical call from God that we have in Scripture. Acts 1.14, they, talking about the early believers, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This was not a religious practice. This was a fervent, intense, constant interaction with God. They didn't meet just on occasion or only when it felt right or desirable or authentic or only if there was a crisis or only if things were going well. It says they met constantly. 
for prayer. And some amazing things happened. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And when they devoted themselves to these things, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because when we pray, we recognize we live for a kingdom we can't see. But that's much stronger and more real than the world that we're standing in right now. The mark of the early church was prayer, to be sure. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And we'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. Early pastors gave their attention to prayer and the study of the word. Let me tell you what, these days, everybody in their grandmother is telling you through magazines, books, websites, what you should be doing to grow your church. I've even been told literally, no, your focus is leadership, not prayer in the Bible. No, my focus as a pastor is prayer and the study of the word. You lose that, you lose everything, even if it seems like you've gained the whole world. The best gift I can give you and the gift you need to hold me accountable to, please, please, is prayer and the study of God's word. And thank you so much for freeing me up to do that. It is an absolute privilege and a joy beyond what I can put into words to have served you all these years in this way. I pray for God's grace to continue. Romans 12.12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So we're to be faithful in prayer. We're we're not to be wishy-washy or praying today and not praying tomorrow. Prayer is the first thing and everything else can wait. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, catch this language, and pray in the spirit. That is, we're not praying just in our heads. We're praying God for him to guide our prayer time, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit as he leads us into what to pray for and how to pray for it, and our ear to hear him gets better the more we pray. Pray in the spirit, not on our own efforts. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know one of the primary ways that the enemy will try to tempt you is that you're doing it wrong. And I want all of us, when we feel like when we're praying, we're doing it wrong, for us to just yell, nope, really loud. Even if you're in Starbucks, nope, not gonna work today. Because when we pray, even if we're praying in a way that is shallow, guess what? Now we have something to pray for. Lord, I just feel like my prayers are shallow. I wanna grow more. I wanna grow more in you, Lord. And we're to bring all kinds of requests, all kinds of prayers on all occasions. Lord, thank you for the sun. Thank you for this tree. I don't understand how the sap gets up in the tree, but somehow you do that and that, that all this that grows for hundreds of years and you did that. Let the Lord bring us back to a childlike wonder in his creation, for a childlike wonder uh, in the gift of relationships that we have with other people, a childlike wonder in how he wants to use us and love us. I believe one of the greatest temptations for seasoned believers, listen to this, you who've been following Christ for 10 plus years, one of the greatest temptations is to stop praying. Because you know so much and your following of Jesus and reading the Bible has given us a moral compass to where our life is pretty darn good even if we don't pray. Because we got this Protestant work ethic thing going. And we got all these great relationships that God gave us and that uh, the, the morality and the ethics that God has given us strengthens. And we generally have a little bit of wealth because we work hard and we wise with our finances and we stop praying. So prayer is something that we're to be devoted to. 
But there's often confusion surrounding prayer, and I think when you're confused, a great resource that the church has had for hundreds of years, a great uh, discipleship resource that you can find online in about a million places is the Westminster Catechism. It just frames uh, questions about faith in a simple question and answer format. And why the church doesn't use it more, why I don't use it more, man, I should. But question 178, what is prayer? Parents, this is a great discipleship tool for your kids, by the way, the Westminster Catechism. What is prayer? The answer, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So simply put, prayer is asking God for stuff with adoration and confession. That's what it is. And God loves it. He delights when we ask him. It says in Proverbs 15, verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. And isn't that our goal? Isn't that why we're here? To please him. That's, I pray that all the time. Lord, I want, I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I want my, I'm not even close to there. Let me edit that statement for the record on the recording. I'm not, I'm not even the same galaxy, universe, stratosphere, but I want my heart to be every second of the day. Lord, my desire is to please you. And prayer pleases God. And he listens and answers our prayers. In Isaiah 65, verse 24, it says, Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. God not only asks us to bring our requests before him, he asks us to keep asking him. In other words, he wants us to bother him with our prayer request. Isaiah 62, verse 6 I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. Man, I want to be a watchman. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and make her the praise of the earth. Give him no rest. Man, wouldn't it be great if Awaken had a ministry of watchmen, an army of people devoted to prayer that just kept ringing the bell? Keep praying, church. Keep praying, church. Don't grow weary in doing good, church. Don't grow weary in doing good, church. Don't think you can do it on your own, church. Ministry is prayer. Going out and doing the work is just picking up what God's already done through prayer. You missionaries, the work happens on your knees and in groups of other believers on your knees. You who want to do great things for God, you who want to raise a family, you who want to have a God-honoring job in the business world or a God-honoring college experience, that happens in prayer. And the, the walking out of it is just simply picking up what God has knocked off the trees through prayer. But this is hard for us, this idea that we're to continually come before God, and I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, saying we bother him, but this is hard for us because as a parent, we don't want our kids to continue to ask for stuff, do we? It drives us nuts if you aunts, uncles, friends of kids, parents. When my kids were little and they asked for a cookie, once I gave an answer, I mean, I wanted it to be it. Maybe if they asked one or two more times, but then, you know, what do parents say? If you've grown tired of being asked, what do you say to the cookie question? Go see your mother. Go see your mother. <laughs> That's not what I was looking for. What? But that's a good one. What about any others? What do you say? Allie, what do you say? Don't ask me again. Every human being who's a parent on planet Earth from every language and nationality has said that very thing. The answer is no, don't ask me again. That's actually precisely what I had in my notes. Thank you. I'm not going crazy. 
I'm mean just like you are sometimes. Yeah, very good. So we apply the same to God. We don't want to bother him, but it delights him if we do. Lord, I'm still discouraged. I don't want to be, but I'm still discouraged. Lord, I'm still so lonely, and I I do want a special romantic relationship. I know you're supposed to fulfill me in every way, and I want to get there, but I'm still lonely, and I I do pray for that. I want you to heal my heart, but I I pray for that thing. God gives us certain desires, and it's okay to pray for those things. Our faith isn't based on it, and we have to be careful to define what's a blood-bought grace. That is what, you've heard me use that expression probably many times if you've been here for a while, but a blood-bought grace is something God promises in Scripture, like to forgive us of our sins if we confess them. He doesn't promise us a spouse or many of the other things, but we can cry out for those. God's not bothered by that when we come to him. He wants to talk with us. He knows we all have diarrhea of the mouth. You know, one of my elementary school teachers used to say that you'd start like stuttering because you got in trouble in class. You know, she was a very authoritative woman, but you would be, you know, you'd start stuttering in class because you were talking, which I did often. I had ADD way before it was diagnosed, I'm sure of it. And I would start talking with my friends and, Chris, what's the answer today? And it's, what's the matter, boy? You got diarrhea of the mouth? You know, and and man, I shut up real quick. And Well, God doesn't do that, okay? He likes us to come to him, and he knows that we have diarrhea of the mouth, and he loves us anyway. He doesn't get put out with us because our prayer life is immature. And guess what? The most seasoned saint who's ever lived has a very, very immature prayer life. You know that? Because, see, God sees Chris Old five billion years from now. And even on Chris' best day on planet Earth, he's going to be a little tiny infant who's not even not barely out of the womb compared to that guy who's been in the presence of my king for millions upon millions of years. So you, you don't have to worry. He, Jesus has already paid the price. He's already paved the way for you to be in communication with him, and he already loves you. So we're to be persistent in prayer. We're also encouraged to add watchfulness to our prayer lives. Again, according to Colossians 4, verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we're to pay attention in prayer, specifically, listen to this, to hindrances. Because Paul says, don't be aware of the enemy's schemes. We need to be aware of hindrances because we are in a spiritual battle. That's another thing that we seasoned saints can forget. We just kind of coast through life on what God did last year and the year before. I'm there. I'm probably, I'm I'm crawling out of that now and repenting of that behavior now. So I know how you feel if you're struggling with the same thing. We have an enemy whose very name means deceiver. Satan deceived one third of the angels when he tried to usurp God's authority. And based on various places in scripture, I think that was hundreds of thousands to perhaps millions of angels And guess what they've been doing for thousands of years? Perfecting the art of deceiving me and deceiving you into thinking God is unnecessary and undesirable and not worth pursuing. Or some type of religious temptation. Just check off the boxes and keep God off your back. If we had the most deceptive army of enemies seeking to take down our city through manipulating our police force, desecrating our legal system, and polluting our young people, we would be more than proactive, wouldn't we? 
If this great enemy got a foothold by cleverly infiltrating our schools and courts and police force and even our very homes and families through a ruse of helpfulness and charisma, we would put a stop to it. We would invest all of our resources, financially, human, everything we possibly could, military, into stopping that force. But yet we have an enemy who is the mastermind behind the Holocaust, the creator of abortion, the celebrator of addiction, the master of divorce and adultery, the king of murder, the spark that ignites lust, and the perpetrator of a million kinds of greed and oppression. He's the reason for apathy, the reason why churches break down because of moral failures and lack of love for God. Everything evil and broken in our world, a million kinds of oppression and sexism and poverty and all the rest, it comes from him because he is the father of lies. Yet we let him rape us and destroy us with his deception. He wants to kill our kids, destroy our churches, and tear down everything good. And I believe the deception this enemy of our soul uses in your life and mine more than any other, listen to this, is comfort and toys in our culture. We spend millions, billions of dollars and countless hours of our day thinking about how we can be more comfortable. One more vacation, one more thing, uh, uh, one more uh, way to make just a little bit more money. And his schemes keep us from talking to God as we maintain this laundry list of pursuits of comfort and toys. This is the first hindrance to prayer. He lulls us to sleep. We walk around like we're in a time of peace instead of a time of war. We're in a war. And you know who understands that? Have you ever talked to uh, military personnel who have children and they love God? Not a day goes by where they don't pray. You know why? Their kids are being shot at. They know their kids are in a war. Our kids' parents are in a war. Your friends are in a war. The lost people we know are dead meat they are, the, they are in the enemy's crossfire unless we allow Jesus to break our hearts for them. So the second hindrance to prayer is the illusion of control. We think we're in control because you could read one of a thousand self-help books or articles or whatever, and it says one plus one equals two. In other words, if I put in the right kind of time and effort, my kids are going to be awesome. I just need the secret formula, and I can do it all on my own. If I want to have a great marriage or great relationships or great friendships, here's the list of things that I need to do. While those lists can be helpful, here's where they can be demonic. We give ourselves the credit for any perceived success we've had. I believe self-help is, is one of the most deceptive tools of the enemy Especially, again, when the focus isn't on allowing God to improve by my life by making those applications that these self-help books and magazines uh, suggest that are godly, but rather I do it because I don't need God. You know who else prays when, prays well? Our parents who get a call that says, your child has cancer. Or you get the call that says, Hey, this is the school counselor, which my wife has to make this call often as a school counselor. We found out that your kid is using heroin or that they're involved in all kinds of destructive uh, uh, sexual and relational choices. Those parents pray well. When we're hurting or we're in trouble or we get bad news or we go through a crisis, 
we pray because we wake up to the reality that we're not in control. You know, another obstacle we face that probably most of us are not conscious of is, uh, the third is, we think our prayers seem trite or silly. I've done this before. You guys know I coached for a number of years, and I'm still, as a fan, at, at my fair share of baseball tournaments, my son's baseball tournaments. And I have prayed once or twice, or maybe many more, that's between me and God, but to win a baseball game. And then I'm thinking, it's all I can think about. And I'm like, why am I so obsessed with this? These are just 15-year-olds out there. Uh, and then I can kind of shut myself up. I can, my response can be, well, I don't know how to pray. I'm praying for dumb things, so I'm just not going to pray at all. No, we're to come to God with our trite request, and it gives us something to pray for. He loves it when we come to him. He knows we're just kids. We pray, God, I know this game doesn't really matter. Help me to love these people around me. We pray for greater depth and desire for the things of God, and he'll answer that because in 1 John, he says, if you ask anything according to my will, I hear you, and I'm going to give you what you ask for. In a more life-giving prayer life, God-honoring prayer life is what he wants for us, so he's going to give it to us. This next wall we face when we pray may come as a surprise to some, and that's uh, the fourth. Husbands fail to honor their wives. 1 Peter 3 says that if a husband fails to honor his wife, that God, that their prayers will be hindered. And I don't know exactly what that means. I think it could mean one of two things, but the application is the same way other, uh, either way. And the first is it could mean that God literally does not listen to your prayers. It could also mean that the husband who's failing to honor his wife uh, doesn't really desire to pray. But either way, again, the application is the same. It hinders our prayers because it says in God's word that when we, when we marry, we're one flesh and that husbands are to lay down their wives' lives for their wives just as Christ did the church. So, men, we need to get right with our wives. If we feel like our prayer life, I like to use it this, express it this way because I think it's more, uh, it's a better image. But if you feel like your prayer life is constipated, check on these hindrances, okay? See, now you'll remember them better. Uh, the last one is a little more obvious, and that's unconfessed or indwelling sin. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You see, we've, we've all bought into the lie that God likes us more when we're good, and it's not true. When we buy into that lie, we hide from God, and we pretend that we're something we're not. It's not true. Now, our parents like us more when we're good. At least Allie and I can relate on that. The rest of you might think you're better parents than us. Could be true. But I know I like my kids better when they're good. I love them all the time. But God's not like that. He can't love us or like us any more than he does right now. When we mess up, we, run to, we love to run to the law. What I mean is that we pray when we're doing well, but when we struggle sometimes, sometimes that drives us to him, but sometimes that can cause us to avoid him. And it's beyond ridiculous when we do that. You know, it'd be like going to the hospital only when you're well so that the doctors and nurses think that you're super healthy. But it says in God's word that Jesus came for the sick, not for those who think they're already well. Man, repentance and confession is a daily thing for us. We never arrive. Jesus came to destroy the lie that says he only likes us 
when we're good. You see, God demands perfection, and Jesus has already substituted his perfection for our sin. He took our sin and in place gave us perfection in him. It doesn't get any better than that. He already sees us as good because of that. We don't understand the gospel if we only pray when we're doing well. I think a very healthy prayer, it shouldn't stay this way, but a healthy prayer is, God, I sinned in this area today, and I'm probably going to do it tomorrow. But I want to keep the conversation going between us. Do you know all too often, you pray like that, you're just real with God where you're at. Men, women, God, I looked at porn today, and honestly, I think I might look at it again tomorrow. Because I'm finding more life in this than I do your word. You start praying that long enough, God will change your heart. Because he loves weakness. He loves transparency. And he hates pretending. He hates it. He would rather have a, a, a messed up sinner than a pretending saint. It says even in God's word that we're deceived if we buy into this lie. If we say that God only likes me when I'm good. It says in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not true. I don't want to make God out to be a liar. <laughs> I don't want to be on that end of the relationship. But when we say, yeah, God, I know I'm full of it, and I agree with you that I'm a sinner, and I'm a sinner in these ways, he knows we're messed up. He already knows it all. He, he knows what we struggle with. And he knows the you five million years from now, when you've been with him and changed by him, he sees it all. He's already perfected you into that person now. We just have to walk it out for a few more seconds before we see him face to face. When I say that, by the way, some of you who are a little more literal and haven't entered abstract thinking yet, I'm not saying that we're going to gas you or something in here. What I'm saying is that eternity, you know, or, or, or life is very short. So I've heard that only 30% of adults actually enter abstract thinking. If that's true, then, man, we're really struggling in here with just basic illustrations, you know. So, uh, but let's get into the practicals here. Uh, Sometimes I have a random explosion of spontaneous prayer, and it's just great, and you know, but more often than not, there has to be time and discipline. You've got to set aside time or it's never going to happen. One practical way to do this, one practical way I've done this, is offices of prayer. And this has been around in the church for hundreds of years, and it's just where you have a prearranged time, multiple prearranged times during the day you set aside to pray. And they don't have to be long. They can be five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. But it's where you set aside time, uh, however many times a day you want to do it. You can set an alarm on your phone, and you just kind of check in. God, here's where, I, here's where my soul is at right now. And I can't tell you the number of times where maybe I've been tempted, or maybe I've been angry and I haven't known why. And it sharpened me. It sharpened me in my courage for the gospel and my love for people and my love for God and my love for his word. I prefer that. You've got to find your own kind of a way to apply consistent, constant prayer in your own life, but this has really helped me more than having one time set aside for prayer every day, just multiple times throughout the day that you set aside for prayer. Um, another is the 50-50 uh, prayer or the Arnold Palmer prayer. 
Arnold Palmer is 50% lemonade and 50% iced tea. So this will help you and I remember. This is something where this might be the most effective uh, kind of uh, organized way in which I've prayed. And I think it's good to have organized ways you pray, uh, prescribed ways you pray, and spontaneous. You need both. Uh, but when I really feel like I'm, I'm struggling and I don't, I'm not experiencing God as counselor, maybe I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, uh, I'm mad at God, whatever it may be, I take, let's say I have a 30-minute time with God in prayer, I take 15 minutes, half the time, and just kind of let him have it. Lord, here's what I'm going through right now. It just seems like I'm making no progress in these areas. These people are driving me nuts, and I know I should love them, but they're just driving me up a wall. I feel like I'm filled with anger. Why isn't this easier? Whatever's going on in my heart. And then I move into uh, the last 15 minutes into thanking God for who he is and what he's doing in my life and what, what's true about him from the word. You know the interesting thing? I have not had one time where I've had to remind myself it's time to be thankful. And by God's grace, I've been doing this for years. You know why? When you start pouring your heart out to, to dad and the spirit starts working in your heart, you're thankful. This just works. Instead of pretending, this just works. Because you come to God. What it's helped me with is I come to God uh, in the condition that I'm in, not the condition that I'm pretending to be in before him. So I think this is a really effective way the last, and this is effective as well, pray scripture. I think a reason a lot of us think the Bible's boring is because we don't pray scripture. Uh, we read the Bible with our heads and we study it, but we also have to read it with our hearts, and we read it with our hearts when we pray. All right, so you're reading, let's say, uh, uh, the, the story of the prodigal son. You don't just, don't just read it. Talk to God about it. Lord, I want to have the heart of the prodigal son who saw his desperate need for you. Lord, show me ways that I'm dirty and beat up by this world, ways that I've chosen to abandon you. Lord, help me not to be like the big brother who's legalistic. Lord, show me ways that I'm legalistic. Lord, thank you that in this story, the father comes running, and he's not trying to be discreet, but he's shouting, so to speak, with his body language, his, his crazy love for his son. Thank you, Lord, that you love me like that. Pray scripture. So those are just a couple of ways. Uh, but I want to end with a challenge for us all. Um, I think there are many things Awaken is good at. For example, we're a very generous church. When we started out with 40 people, we had $30,000 pledged the first year. And I know for you college students, 30000 seems like a lot of money. But for a church, that's enough to basically maybe... That's not even, that's barely enough to keep my family literally fed, okay? Uh, and with a roof over our head and, and to, to keep a roof over us as a church. Um, and the church, honestly, when we started out was not very generous. Very few people were giving a regular tithe or giving sacrificially. Um, and we needed 80,000 the first year. And just with a few simple encouragements, hey, this is what God's word says about giving. Uh, the, the Linworth, the church that sent us out, was committed to supporting us for two years, and they could stop supporting us in six months because the church gave, gave well over $100,000 the first year and has given more and more every single year. Very generous church. We also have a tremendous heart for missions. There are over 25 people right now that are regularly committed to pursuing training for missions, conferences, 
specific, intentional, missional prayer times for the world. Uh, and we are this close to sending out our first missionary or missionaries. I believe it will happen this year. So we have a heart for missions. Safe families, having a heart for families that are going through really difficult times and being the hands and feet to Christ, hands and feet to Christ to people who are in crisis. It's been tremendous. In addition to missions, we have a huge heart for young people. We started as a youth group back in 2000. Many of you were youth back then. And uh, uh, our young life leaders are continuing that godly heritage, reaching out to high school and middle school campuses all over the city. That's been awesome. And the last strength I'll mention, and I could go on and on, is evangelism. We celebrate the gospel going out not just in group environments like this or home groups, but also in our personal lives because we believe every member of God's house is a priest in his kingdom. And worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. But we struggle with prayer. And I think we've struggled with it more as the years have gone on. Man, when we started, there were regular, regular commitments to prayer every single week. I don't believe we have an intense desire to experience all that God has for us. I think we're kind of good with where we're at, and we're kind of maybe a little overwhelmed with life. And we're just kind of good with how much he's given us already. we got a building. Our bills are paid. Uh, our lives are going okay. But I, I want to see, in my, and I think I'm in that place. I'm repenting of that place. But I want to see more miracles, more healing, more people coming to know Christ and growing in him. I want to see, and I know many of you do, more multiplications of home groups and churches and multiplying our lives into others through discipleship. I want to see us crying, face down, praying for the lost. I want to see us on our knees in worship because we think Jesus is awesome. Because we not only love him, but we like him. I've realized that I don't, Jesus wants me to like him. Not just love him. He wants me to talk about him the same way I do my kids. The same way that you do the cool restaurant you were just at last week. He wants us to like him, to find pleasure in him, to delight in him. We've said we exist to please God, that that's the point of the church. And our number one measurable goal to determine if we're growing in our desire to please God is prayer. And I'm in a season of repentance, and I'll help, I hope you join me. We should be praying together constantly in Scripture. And you know, in Scripture, they have kids. They had to work like a thousand hours to make a loaf of bread. You know, they had to get it. They were working literally from sunup to sundown every day. They, they, they made time for that which gave them pleasure because they liked God. They liked Jesus might have to get a little more creative as we age and how to do it, but let me tell you what, we do the things we enjoy. We should be praying together constantly according to Scripture. You've probably heard me say in the past, and I haven't said this, uh, uh, it's my own fault, but I haven't beat this drum enough in recent years, but you've heard me say for those who've been around a while, if we only do one thing well at Awaken, it must be prayer. I want us to have a heart like David who said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In Psalm 27, verse four, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. 
I love what uh, the book that my home group is reading right now by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. He spoke to the power of prayer and how awesome it would be to see the glory of God in his temple before Christ came. But he said, now he went on to say, but now we have so much more. We have his church, his temple, where God dwells. Not the building, but the people. Don't we want to see his glory, his beauty, his power, his healing in his temple, the church? We've been praying for a while now on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Uh, right up this stairwell up here in a, a, a ministry that also uses this church uh, called Asia's Hope. Uh, we meet up there gracious enough to let us use their space, but we meet up there at 5 p.m., and that would be a great place to start. I believe it's the most important ministry of the church. And I want to tell you husbands and wives, man, if you have kids, find a way to do it in your home group. Find a way to do it on the phone. We've had some couples where uh, the husband stays home with the kids, and, you know, the, the wife is up there praying, or they even brought their kids running around. I can't imagine in the early church with all these dirt farmers, they were like, hey, go in the finished basement while we pray up here and turn on some Netflix. No, they were all running around. You know, probably like why they're praying, hey, don't touch that. That's poop. You shouldn't eat that. You know, that, hey, don't touch that. It's fire. It'll burn you. You know, they, they were probably, it wasn't this all, you know, everyone quiet. And No, okay, we're a family. We got to learn to have kids around. And they're loud, and I love it. I love hearing little heaven's footsteps. It's heaven's not, I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about a child named heaven. But running around when we're praying, you know, on that wood floor, ba, 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 ba. I think Jesus loves it. I think he loves it. And I think our kids need to see it. They need to see it and they need to experience it when they say, man, mom and dad, they are so pumped when they're in this time. They're making much of Jesus. This isn't about just checking off the list, want to be a good moral kid and go to church. My parents are serious about this. And guys, I'm not beating up on you as your pastor. I know sometimes you hear this, and again, I used that term earlier in the message intentionally, you know, a, a, a drive-by pastoring. You know, Colossians 4.2 says, and then you all feel beat up, and, you know, and you're going to pray well for a couple days, and then, you know, we're all going to go back to the way we were. Hey, I'm in the same boat. As I've gotten older, as, you know, the kids have gotten older, and things, at least in some areas, have gotten a little bit easier. We haven't gone through a trial in a while, you know. I repented uh, in front of the whole staff this last week and basically said, guys, man, I suck. You know, my prayer life is, is not where it should be. This has been a tough month. And uh, they prayed for me, and that's what we have to do. We got to get used to being real with each other, talking about what's really going on in our lives, and, talk, and being real with God, and then praying in community. It's not a private thing, but it's part of it is private. But we need to be together praying. There's power in that. I want that, guys. I want it. And I feel like there's been seasons where I've wanted it so much more. And I, I repent. I repent before you, my brothers and sisters. And I invite us all into a season where we go to God and say, Lord, bring me back to my first love. Bring me back. to. I, I want to have prayer times where I lose track of time with you guys. That's what I want. Wouldn't that be awesome? If we're up there and we can't start church because there's 75 people crammed up in there, you know, all the new people come in and are like, what? You know, and somebody has to come down and share the gospel with them and they join us. You know, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> so let's do that. All right. Lord, we thank you that you are our grace. Lord, we are not good at prayer. 
Lord, you were good in prayer in our place. So we grab a hold of your sufficiency in prayer and we claim it for ourselves. Whether we have never had a time where we've prayed more than 10 minutes or we pray for hours every day, Lord, our sufficiency to pray is because of you and the Holy Spirit, not because of our accumulated skills in doing so. So we grab a hold of that, Lord, as you grow us up because we know you see the finished product. And you're working in us, Lord, and you love the process of making us like you because your kingdom is a kingdom of joy and you are the author of joy and you love to just spread it all through us and around us. Lord, you're not hands on your hips saying, why won't you just get done? I've been working so hard on you and you still won't learn to pray. Lord, but you're inviting us into an adventure. Lord, you love the process of of working on us and molding us because you see it when it's all finished. Lord, and we do want to present one another, Lord, as mature in Christ. Lord, we want to practice all the one another verses that really are impossible without you. So, Lord, help us come back to our first love. Help us reorder our priorities, Lord, to apply the spirit of discipline that you've given us in Christ to these things. We cry out for your grace, and Lord, we love you, and thank you. You're going to help us to love you more. Please bless the offering, Lord, as we collect it. I pray that you would use it to advance your work all over the world. Thank you that it's your money, Lord, and help us to give generously in Jesus' name.